with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the second hour of Ghost Chronicles Radio, Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. I am Ron Kolick, your host, New England's own Van Helsing, to make this short edition, and no Anne today. She is working. So joining me is our special guest. Uh, someone I've known for a long time, and she is a author of a ton of books. She is uh, the proprietor of New England Curiosities Tour Guide, which does all that cool stuff. She is none other than New England Scary Guide grandmother, uh, Roxy Zwicker, Godmother. What is it? Oh, good evening. It's it's Godmother, but uh, that's <laughs> with Godmother. Grandmother makes me sound really old. I had it first, and then I changed it. Yeah. You over, you're overthinking. There's no need to overthink. Yeah, well, it is what it is. So anyway, uh, must be the Novocaine. I went to the dentist today, so they shot me all up. So there you go. <laughs> oh, that's always fun. That's truly scary stuff. Nah, that's good stuff. I talked to the dentist about uh, Polish food and uh, ghosts, so can't beat that. I'm good with it. Nice. <laughs> yeah, she had a ghost story. Everybody has a ghost story. If you don't, they Roxy, you know that yourself, right? Oh my God! Some of the most unlikely people have ghost stories. You just just never know. They don't tell everybody. Yeah. Unless you bring it up, and then it is. So you have a new book that's that's out. It's uh, another one in the series of the Books of the Dead. This is the main Book of the Dead, I believe? It is the main Book of the Dead. It came out in the middle of August, so it was one of mm. those exciting lockdown projects and uh, mm. spent a lot of time, um, you know, during the, the year that wasn't in cemeteries. Mm-hmm. You know, perfect place to go There's you know, Nobody living there, so I, um, I just I traipsed all over, um, all over Maine and filled in some of the stories that I've been hoping to write about, and it's all graveyard legends and lore. So that is the third in the series of the Book of the Dead. So um, it was Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Maine, and I'm working on Vermont right now. Mm. So enough people in Vermont. Oh, there's plenty of people in Vermont. There's plenty of dead people in Vermont. Oh, that's good. There's plenty of dead people in Maine. That the Maine book was really, um, really hard to stop writing. I mean, I I went way over the amount of words I was supposed to have because I had <laughs> so many stories, and it, it's it's crazy. And I think um, Vermont too is going to be a, a big volume of stories. It's kind of cool, you know, when you, you have the time to to really spend to flush out some of these stories and go to some, you know, the more remote places. So, uh, yeah. so the main book of the day is the biggest one right now. What? Do you drive to these cemeteries? Of course, I drive to these cemeteries. I, so I wouldn't. Visit, I wouldn't write about them if I didn't go. Uh, do we have a, a little delay in in, in our uh, voices, Roxy? Is that what's messing you up? No, I don't think so. Okay. 
All right. So, uh, yeah. So you do go to them. Uh, that's the, that's the only way to drive a, is to see what's there because sometimes you're going to find gravestones that, you know, nobody has really written about yet. And it's the best way to describe what it's like to walk through the burial ground, you know, whether it's the trees or the houses or how remote it is to really give that description yeah. like you're there. So how do you find the cemeteries, Roxy? Some, sometimes I get lucky and I happen upon them, but usually there's some research that gets involved. Uh, one of the, the first graves that I ended up writing about was one that I actually had learned about in New Hampshire. Uh, there was a young woman who froze to death on Mount Washington, and her family was in Kennebunk, Maine, and her father had designed this massive gravestone to be placed on Mount Washington where she had died, which was back in the early 1800s. And there was no way to get this grave marker there. So the grave marker is actually in the cemetery in Kennebunk. She's still buried underneath a pile of rocks on Mount Washington and has been haunting there for years. And it's it's such an, an odd story because she froze to death in July. It was Ugh, July that they were hiking Mount Washington, and you know, as soon as the sun went down, the temperature plummeted, and they were dressed for the summer. And she was there with her uncle and a couple of friends, and you know, she wasn't—I uh, guess she wasn't the, the healthiest of young ladies. I think she was eighteen, and try as they might to shield her from cold and the wind at night, she froze to death. And her Aww. uncle blamed himself for, you know, not having better preparations for her passage. And he actually died from grief within a year. So the marker that was supposed to be placed, um, you know, where she died and where she, you know, where this whole thing happened uh, is, is actually in Kennebunk. And there's a pile of rocks where she died and there's a, a wooden marker there. But she's, her ghost has been seen um, since you know, the late 1800s, which is pretty cool, but uh, I had never actually gone to the marker that tells, you know, this amazing story, you know, how uh, you could be young and in the prime of life and death reaches out and and takes you. So uh, it was just a a great story to finally get all the pieces together for and write about. You know, that's one of the problems uh, even today in in hiking and stuff and everything that people just aren't prepared because they start off and it's in good weather and the next thing they know i mean that that poor family just died in uh uh out in california i believe it was it was a a mother and a a baby and a uh dog and a uh, husband and they went out and it wasn't cold there it was the opposite it was uh they were prepared for the 108 degree temperatures and everything and they ended up all mm-hmm. dying from a heat stroke and everything so it, it, it yeah that's one of the the the, the problems of uh hiking in new england or in other parts of the country you leave at one particular temperature you're not familiar with it i mean you know it's mount washington of course that it's the highest mountain this side of the rockies so uh mm-hmm. it's definitely you know the temperature can drop plummet very quickly on that that mountain true and even the most you know skilled climbers they they still have you know, issues, you know, even, even prepared and with gear because oh, you yeah. just, you never know. And, um, it's 
it's it's it's one of my favorite places to to visit. Last year during the uh, the winter, my husband and I we did the the cog in the snow. We've done it a couple of times, and we've did done the, really? the snow coach up there. Oh my god, yeah, it's it's a blast. So you go up he did. Um, on the on the cog rail, well, you go about halfway. You go is just just, uh, just really right at the edge of tree line. Is it heated? Well, uh, sort of. It's <laughs> it's a little it's a little bit heated, um, okay. and then you you get off you get off the train, and then you have a really nice roaring fire pit going. So you warm up by the fire pit, and you have some coffee and cocoa, and then you get back on a semi warm train and make the way back down. But it's oh, okay. um, it's really just so spectacular. I highly highly recommend it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's. I mean, New England's just great. I love New England. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else, to be honest with you. Uh, we have so much here. And, uh, you know, the, when you were looking at uh, some of these stories for the, um, you know, Book of the Dead, main Book of the Dead, was there one that really surprised you? It was like, wow, you know, that gave you a wow factor? Or, or have you done so many that you don't get that anymore? No, I still, I, I still do get the wow factor with some stories. I mean, I wrote about, um, in the introduction to the book, I wrote about Mount Katahdin, um, which isn't as high as, as Mount Washington, but all of the, the strange calamities that have happened um, on Mount Katahdin over the years, you know, in respect that, you know, people go up there and they were hit by lightning, like something weird would happen to people um, on Mount Katahdin and, so many people have felt over the years that that was the place to go and release their ashes on oh. Mount Katahdin. So you have, you know, this this sort of interesting circle of life thing happening out there. And I, I found that to be really compelling, um, you know, to to find this place where so many people have, have died, yet it's just, it's so, so beautiful and so storied. And, you know, um, Henry David Thoreau wrote about Katahdin and, um, you know, just again, sort of this whole spiritual nature to it. I was just amazed at how many people have connected with that place. And when I saw Katahdin, I was actually scared out of my mind because I was on a logging road um, on this dirt path that I did not belong on. And I didn't really take the time to appreciate Katahdin when I saw it. I just wanted to get off this horrifying road that I know I should not have been on. Um, so that it's, it's it's sort of a an interesting way of of looking at um, a burial place. You know, there's no gravestone there yet. There's so many people lost their lives, and so many people at the end of their lives sort of go back there. Um, so I I thought that was very interesting, just the spiritual nature, but sort of in a, in a comical nature. I did find a um, a story that I had not heard in Maine. And it goes, um, you know, all, all the way, way, way up into uh, into Maine back in the late 1800s. There was a sea captain that had died on his ship. And rather than burying him at sea, his uh, wife decided that since she was on board, which was thought to be like this whole bad omen, that oh, yeah. he was buried in a cask of alcohol. And yeah, that, they ended up burying common, him instead of in a coffin. In yeah. in the alcohol in in the barrel itself in uh, Cutler, Maine. Oh, he's buried in the cotton. That's thing. It's not uncommon that they used to do that. Uh, uh, I believe that uh, uh, was it. Lord Lord uh, Wellington was, was. They did the same thing to him uh, at sea because it preserved the body basically. Uh, but I I didn't mm-hmm. 
never knew that they buried them in the barrel of the alcohol as well. So that's that's pretty strange. Well, it's like being pickled, isn't it? It, totally, well, totally being pissed. Well, I mean, if you... <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Uh, I couldn't even imagine, though, after you know all those weeks at sea, someone saying, "Well, we need to, you know, we need to take him out of there and put him in a proper coffin." Like, who the heck's going to want to do that? So they just left him in it and buried the whole thing, which I, I thought was just such a, a great story. And and it's the facts are there. He truly was buried in the barrel. <laughs> that's so funny. Well, not really, I guess, the, the thing, but... Well, I, not for him. No, not for him. <laughs> I mean, and you run into you run into sad stories, too. You run into, but the, to me, the children ones are always the saddest to me. Have mm. you... Is there any children ones in your book? There's the story of uh, Elnora French, which is in Camden. And Camden is just... A, it's such a such a jewel on, on the main coast. It's so beautiful. It's kind of it's kind of like a buffet, but a little bit smaller. And there's these beautiful rolling hills, and on um, on the mountain, all of this uh, family, the French family, had gone. It was a beautiful day. It, you know, again, I think we're talking a lot about mountains and not meaning to. And uh, her hat blew off, and she reached for her hat and fell over the side oh. of the mountain. And they carried her down, and she died on the way down. Well, strange thing is, about 15 years ago, there was a husband and wife who had climbed up the mountain. Apparently, uh, he invited her to go up for the day, and they hadn't been getting along. There was some sort of fight over an inheritance that she had gotten and he wanted half of. And she ended up saying that he threw her off the top of the mountain, and she survived. Oh. And he ended up, um, he ended up, uh, of course, being held accountable for attempted murder up there. And that whole site is reported to be haunted. And there was a um, a big cross that was put up there for Elnora French. And over the years, you know, it's deteriorated, but they keep putting it back up there. So, uh, so it's 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 such a, a sad story. I went and I visited her grave which is, isn't too far from there. And, you know, I couldn't even imagine, you know, the family having to carry down, you know, her, her dead body, and she was only eight. So uh, her, her ghost is up there. Allegedly, when you get too close to the edge of the cliff, which is now called Maiden's Cliff, by the way, um, you can hear her shouting for you to step back from the edge of the cliff. Wow. It's a good ghost story, meaning that's, she's a, a helpful ghost versus some ghosts, mm-hmm. uh, ghosts, whatever they are. <laughs> so you, um, you also have an, an event coming up. Uh, is it this week uh, at the theater? I do. So um, I've been since, uh, since the fall, since September, I've been doing um, haunted theater events at the Players Ring Theater in Portsmouth which is uh, just a great old building from 1833. It's right in the old red light district. Ooh. So tomorrow we are doing uh, winter solstice with Krampus. I have a, <laughs> a, a Krampus that is coming who is absolutely spectacular. Um, I also have some dancers that are going to be coming and doing a winter solstice and Krampus dance. And I will oh, be telling some really terrifying tales. 
Oh, that's good for the Christmas spirit. I mean, uh, scare the crap out of people. <laughs> well, that's the that's that's the whole idea, and we'll um we're, we're totally sold out for the event. All of our theater events have been doing um really well. We've been doing it as sort of a, an immersive theater. So mm-hmm. you know, when you go out with me on a tour, you know we we talk and we look and I answer questions, and it's very very personal. So in a theater, you know, there's there's sort of that wall that's between you and the guests. And when I started doing the theater events, I didn't want that there. I wanted it to be very interactive. So our audiences get involved with the story. So I'll be doing um, a story of the the Mistletoe Bride, which is a very old story. It goes back, they believe the earliest date on the story um, goes back to 1500, but it's thought to be more more than likely um, early 1800s from uh, England about a woman who gets married on it's in my uh, you know, essentially Christmas. It's my ah, Oh, is it? Is book. it? In, oh, I love it. Blah, yeah. blah. I won't it's say it anymore, but um, no, it's, no, that's fine. It's a, you can talk about it. It's absolutely a classic. And yes, I agree with you too. Go ahead. You can talk about it, but I just, it, it's one of my <laughs> favorites. I'm glad you mentioned it. That's what I'm saying, but yeah, go ahead. Carry on. Well, it's uh, it, it's funny because in, in researching the story, you know, I, I spend so much time trying to go back and do the research mm-hmm. to determine, you know, who these people were and where they lived. Um, there's so many different theories as to who the mistletoe bride may have actually been. And, you know, there was the, the thought that maybe, you know, she ran away and she just disappeared when she got married. So um, what I'm actually having someone do as I'm telling the story is, I'm, I'm having a ghostly mistletoe bride who'll be carrying mistletoe out into the audience in a very dark and uh, ghoulish manner. Uh, we'll have uh, the lights down and uh, all of the, you know, all of the, my battery operated candles, because we don't use real candles, but all of the, the candles lit and, you know, try to make people in the audience part of the story as we search for the mistletoe bride. So it's a, it's sort of a, something new that I've been exploring with only curiosities to, uh, you know, to keep things going in the winter, but to also involve people and not worry about the weather and sort of set that mood and that tone. And we've been just, it's been wildly successful doing it once a month. So uh, I'm really, really excited to bring that story. It's really the first time that I'm doing it because it's not from New England. Usually I'm, you know, all about no. New England, yeah. but I thought it would be just perfect for winter solstice. Oh, absolutely, and and it's it, it, I love the idea of interactive theater. It's it's just a great thing, and uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, sounds like a a great time. And and I have to ask you a question about the theater, though. And and this is on a, for a personal note: is is that is there any ghost stories about the theater? There are. There's there's a lot. Um, what what what's kind of fascinating is it was built as a building that serviced boats along the waterfront. The water used to come right up to the back of the building and boats used to come into the building. And then um, probably about 75 years after it was being used for that, it became a home. And then it was a two-family home for a number of years. And I've met a lot of the descendants of the people that grew up in that house that have told me ghost stories that have been passed down throughout the years. And then I was told um, when it turned into a theater in 1979 that there were even more ghost stories, that the actors and volunteers were experiencing the same ghost activity that people who used to live there. 
and they oh, hadn't wow. talked to each other. So neither one of them knew that the place was haunted. It was kind of like, you know, one of those nobody talks about it type of things. So um, it's, it's really kind of cool. Um, even I think it was during um, our, one of our pirate nights that we did there, it, there was some strange noises coming from upstairs and nobody was upstairs at all. Like we all sort of just stopped in our tracks. So it's mm. really cool to be doing this in a very atmospheric uh, haunted theater. Oh, sure. And one of the, the reasons I asked for that was, is uh, we had, you know, we, we do the red light saying it's been, it's either nine or 10 years now. Uh, every, every month we do it. And uh, we had a spirit that came through and he was in the theater and basically, we only could see the the back of him, but it was uh, he was in the not on the stage or anything. He was off the stage in in the audience section, looking at the stage, and there was a spotlight where uh, it was just lit up, but there was nobody in it. And uh, the feeling was that he was waiting for a woman who died, uh, who was an actress, and and she just you know, died and he's never, uh, you know, he, he longs for her and misses her and all that stuff. But I, I, you ever run across any theaters like that at all, right? Where that type of story has been in? Well, I I mean, we have, go ahead. We, we have, I mean, we have several haunted theaters in Portsmouth. Um, I know that's why I wanted to ask you, yeah. Yeah, the the music hall for sure um, has a whole variety of of spirits that are there. They even have the, uh, the a ghost cat that is there as well. His name is Ollie, and he was actually a theater cat for a while. And his his ghost is experienced by a lot of guests that are there, and even some of the staff. Um, but there's there's such a variety of spirits there. There's a a man in a gray coat who's to be to be like from the 1920s or 1930s and you're always sitting in the same seat and guests are like you know who's this guy in my seat and they're like no there's nobody ticketed for your seat but you and they go down there and after describing him he's gone but they're like no he was there um there's supposed to be a woman in one of the balconies that's up there um believed to be a performer from the past as well so um we also have seacoast repertory theater which is um also haunted. They they've done a couple of um of the ghost shows back in the early two thousands. So it's um it's funny how theaters have these different layers of ghost stories and lots of people that spend time in these theaters have these stories and they just sort of keep seeing the same types of spirits that are there. Mm-hmm. So anyway, <coughs> excuse me. Uh I threw that out there and if anybody who's listening uh knows of the other that has that type of a haunting in it. Uh, you can email me at anyghostproject at comcast.net and I'd love to hear about it. So anyghostproject comcast.net. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, Portsmouth's just a, a, an awesome place. Uh, you are the queen of sports of uh, Portsmouth as far as the uh, the ghost deals with. Oh, I'll get a tickle. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, why are you, were you attracted to Portsmouth, I guess? So you're not originally from Portsmouth, are you? I am I am not originally from Portsmouth. And the first time I set foot in Portsmouth was probably 25 years ago, um, which is, dare I say, half a lifetime ago for me. 
And um, there's, I mean, I, and I, I love New England. I mean, there's no place I'd rather be. I just, there's, I never, ever get tired of New England. I just, I love everything about it. Um, the history, just the architecture, the people, oh, yeah. all of that. Um, but there's, there is something about Portsmouth and, you know, it's, it's going to sound strange, but it's always very familiar to me. I, there's a, a sense of, I can really see in, in my mind's eye, what it looked like 200 years ago, what it looked like, you know, 300 years ago, there's something about it. And I'm sure a lot of it has to do with just the well-preserved architecture that goes back, you know, in that time frame. But everybody that I learned about in school, you know, as far as, you know, revolutionary history and, and, you know, sort of how New England has come together has passed through Portsmouth, you know, whether it's George Washington or Paul Revere or Ben Franklin, like at some point they passed through Portsmouth. And the charm of Portsmouth is just incredible. You know, it's a, it's a port city with cobblestone sidewalks, incredibly old houses. It's all walkable. You know, nothing is far in Portsmouth and there's just a, a, a vibrancy. And to me, it, it sounds strange, but I, I really feel like it's a, it's a living, breathing thing. Like I, I, I feel like when I go to Portsmouth, like I'm just part of something that is, is absolutely amazing. And when I first started doing ghost tours, Portsmouth was really just a pass through, you know, over 20 years ago, it was not as exciting and built up as it is today. And um, to see people come to, to the tours and look at Portsmouth for the first time and, you know, notice different things about it or what calls them or, you know, people saying, wow, I, you know, I've never seen a little community like this. I'm going to come back for a week next time. Um, mm. It just, it has this, this charm and history and, and layered. It, it's just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't be without Portsmouth. I really couldn't. It's just, there's something about it. I just, I can't put my finger on it, but everything is there for me. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, whenever I think of ghosts in Portsmouth, I always think about a you and New England Curiosities. And that's that's the name of uh, uh, Roxy's uh, tour, right? Tour company and much more than mm -hmm. that, though. I don't know what they call it. Anyways, uh, we are coming up to the break, though, so we're going to have to take a break. But anyways, uh, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. I am Ron Kolick, and my special guest is Roxy Zwicker. Do you have a paranormal a event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978 Hello, hello, can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the medium of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Para-X Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing, although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, mustache, 
I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. Welcome back to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. I was waiting for Anne to bring me back because she's not here, so she can't. Unless she does it remotely. Could you do it remotely? I possibly. Anyways, I am Ron Kolick. My special guest is Roxy Zwicker. And Roxy is the author of like a million books. The latest is uh, Maine's Book of the Dead. Uh, she also is the proprietor of New England Curiosities. And... Uh, she does a ton of events, a lot of them fun. You know, the good thing about Roxy's events, and, and I'm saying this to you, Roxy, too, is that you always change them up. It's not the same old, same old. There's always something new, always something exciting going on in your life. I can't get it all out in an hour and a half. So find, finding different ways to tell stories that aren't on the tours, um, to, you know, really have an experience for people. Uh, and I've been so, so lucky to have just such a great core of people that come to everything. Um, that sort of enables me to be able to, you know, kind of branch out and, and do some of the different stuff. Like, when you know, when you and I get to do some of the investigations and things like that, that, you know, are, you know, different things that maybe somebody hasn't tried yet. Right. I mean, that that was neat. I always enjoyed working with you when, you know, uh, we, we've we done a couple of events at that, uh, the little um, studio. And it's a tiny place. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, people love going to your events. That's the one thing I, I've gotten from working with you is that, that people just love your events. And, and I, that's a credit to you. Uh, it, not only for creating the events, but in order to carry it out, because you're basically a one-man show. I mean, you you not only design them and, and create them, but you also, you know, uh, you know, carry them out that, so that people and they always enjoy them. So that's uh, kudos to you. Well, well, thanks. And you know, I when when I put together the events, it's, it's the same philosophy as the tours, or even the same philosophy as the the books and the writing, you know, I try to think of, well, what would, what would I enjoy? What would I like mm -hmm. to go and do? And I obviously read a lot of books and I take other people's tours and, you know, I go to other events and I'm like, Hmm, how can I, how can I do something fun and, and creatively? So, you know, 
and that's and that I think that's the thing. Even you know, even with you, Ron, and the events that you do, like nobody really knows like the work that goes on behind the scenes oh, God, to yeah. to put an event together, or even you know, or even a tour. You know, people spend a you know a couple hours or a few hours with you, and they have no idea like the work that goes on behind the scenes to make a really good event. Mm-hmm. And and the interesting thing too is is because you've been doing this. Uh, and and the, because of your, your your personality and everything else, you have a lot of doors that open up for you, uh, and people respect what you do, which is is great for what you do. I mean, you know, they they're willing to tell you their stories, they're willing to open up their homes to you or their businesses. So that that's a you know you've got a good reputation, which is you know great. Well, and and I think that was one of sort of the first foundational pieces. When I started Oil and Curiosities, and I was working, you know, full time when I started the business. Now the business is is, is my life. I I don't work um, on anything other than the business. But it was so important to make sure that I was respected and you know to present the stories in the right light with the right research. Because I get people. It sounds strange, but I get people on my tours at least a few times a year that are directly connected to the stories that I tell, whether they're descendants or whether they live in those places and you know i don't want to screw up in front of somebody that you know might even know more about the story than i do um Mm -hmm. so you know and and that it's just so important you know i think that's where i try to really make that that difference and you know respect the places that i go to have the ability to do a cemetery tour at night in portsmouth when typically you know that that's not supposed to be a thing but the city's good enough to let me do it And that's the interesting thing about it is is you wonder why you do run into those people. I mean, you know, I, I don't do a ton of tours like you do. Uh, I, I do the ghost tours at the, the lighthouse when we used to do light shows tours uh, mm-hmm. before the, the virus hit. But even then, you, you know, there were times like, you know, I would talk about dowsing and I would say, oh, yeah, well, you know, the water companies have these big ass dowsing rods on their trucks and everything else. And and this is all stuff that I had researched and read. But, you know, I never knew. And I remember, you know, a couple of big guys come up to me after say, right, you're right, Ron. I have those on my truck as well. It's like, oh, wow. It's like, there you go. Check that box off. You know, I've, I've been telling people on my research, but now I've actually have someone who is a uh, you know really does that uh, in, in the thing and, and we've had you know uh former coast guard uh, people that, that you know we tell these things and they say yes we, we've experienced that too and then they tell you something else which is you're like wow i never knew that and, and you add that into your your tour uh because now you have a first hand account of of something that occurred so i mean it, it's it's fabulous the community that you and I uh, uh, deal with is in the the paranormal. I mean, so many people have so many stories, and a lot of times they're not willing to share uh, until they find somebody who is open enough to listen to them. It's true, and I think that's what keeps it exciting. I mean, when you know, when when you meet somebody that tells you a story that you know either backs up the story that you've heard or adds another layer or another chapter to it. I mean, that is, that is like, you know, one of the reasons why I, I do what I do. It's like, you just, you never know who you're going to meet or what they're going to tell you. And, you know, naturally they have to have that 
comfort level with you to be able to to share that, to know that, you know, if they tell it to you, I always say, you know, can I share that with other people? And, you know, that, you know, that, that sort of, you know, keep, keeping it honorable and keeping it honest. But it is one of the most exciting things. And, you know, people say, oh, my God, you've been doing it for how long? Like, doesn't it get boring? Don't you get tired of it? No, because it is always a mix of people from the community that that come out or people that are really interested or people that haven't talked about it with a lot of people. But they, they totally get it. There's always that part of the audience that just they get it for whatever reason, whether they've had an experience or they just truly believe and, you know, they're the ones that are, you know, they're, they're hanging on every word and just want to talk to you, you know, afterwards for, you know, an hour about, you know, what really interests them. It's, it's super exciting. It is such a great community. Yes. And how long has New England Curiosity been around now? It'll be 21 years next year. Wow. 21, huh? And, and that, yeah, and that doesn't count because I I started telling ghost stories professionally in 1994. Um, so you know that you know that's well over 25 years ago, um, and it was just a part time job that I was you know working um, just outside of Plymouth, Massachusetts, and we did the wagon rides in the woods, and you know I was hired to be oh, the, yes. the storyteller on the wagon, and I did that, I did that for years, and I absolutely loved it. Um, and then you know I started doing the, the tours at, you know, at, at the lighthouse. And then that just, you know, sort of spawned, spawned the rest of the tours and, you know, the, the rest is sort of, you know, New England Curiosity's history now. Um, but yeah, it, it was never really intended to, to go as far as it did. And I couldn't duplicate this path again. I wouldn't know how, how to get here. It was very, very organic and a lot of, you know, relationships and a lot of referrals from, people that came on the tours and they tell somebody else and they tell somebody and, you know, and, and that's how it went. I mean, it used to be, you know, the, the pound in the pavement and getting people to, to try to listen to what I had to say. Now I'm, I'm very, very lucky. I don't have to work that hard. Although I still, you know, work hard to get people to, to come right. out and to come to events and they do, but um, it's, it's crazy how all this has happened. It really is. And you also do uh, besides your tours and, and your books that you write, you also do classes and workshops as well, right? I do. do um, I've been teaching for a long time, um, for over 15 years, because it's hard to find, you know, somebody that's going to teach you, well, when I started, you know, back in the day, you know, it's hard to find somebody to teach you how to read tarot cards or, you know, how to use a pendulum or, you know, uh, how to use your intuition. So I've been teaching for a while. And do you have a favorite class that you enjoy doing more than any of them? I I love to teach people how to read cards, whether it's tarot cards, uh-huh. oracle cards, because because people think that you know they're like, oh, well, you got to have you know some sort of special power or special gift. Everybody's got intuition, you know. We we all have it in some form. Sometimes we don't you know realize that we all have you know spirit guides. We have all this stuff available to us. But sometimes people don't know how to tap into it or, or how to understand it. So, you know, teaching people how to use, you know, oracle cards or, you know, to learn about their intuition is one of my favorite things because you can sort of see like the light bulbs go on when you're talking to somebody. They're like, oh, my God, I get it now. And they walk away with this skill, you know, that that they'll always have. And, 
you know, what, like I said, when I started back in the day, there wasn't really anybody that was teaching us back in, you know, in the eighties. But um, now, now I have the ability to do that. And the funny, the funniest thing, Ron, is you get people that come out on the tours or, you know, they come to a talk and they sort of like naturally progress into this. They're like, Oh, well, you know, how do I use a pendulum? How do I do this? So there's sort of like this natural connection. Yeah, I, I think that's important. I remember, uh, and, and you know, you talked about everybody has the abilities and stuff, which is true, is that uh, it's for a course one year, which is an event I do every year, and Roxy's been a part of it several times, is I did a thing on everyday divination, and, and that basically was just exploring how we use divination in our lives every day without even knowing it. I mean, because there are certain things that we... We, we do that people don't think of as divination, but it really is. You know, we, we have a, you know, we have a, uh, a gut feeling or we, we, we chose a different thing or we pick it for one reason or another. Uh, and, and that's, you know, we have that ability. We just don't, you know, recognize it as an ability. And I, I think everyday divination is is so important. Because once you start connecting the dots and understanding, you know, the information that's around you, then, you know, things things start to make sense. You can really connect the dots. You can, you know, work on, you know, things that you want to manifest or if you want to connect with spirit guides or know that, you know, your grandma's looking in on you. Like all of that, it's like opening up this whole new world. And all of that is, is around us. But, you know, I, I think we... I mean, for a lot of the, a lot of my students over the years, they kind of chalk these things up to, oh, that's just a coincidence. You know, I thought about it for a second, but you know, I just yes. I just kept going on about my day. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the important thing too is is that even in the paranormal, we look at ghosts, or we look at spirits, uh, and we have so many experiences that we probably uh just write off as you know a coincidence or something else you know uh you know it's hard to distinguish between the two between the paranormal and and just a, an everyday occurrence i mean for instance if you're in a home and and you put your keys someplace and you go to get your keys and and you say oh geez i thought i put them there and, and then you find them somewhere else you say oh i must have left them there or whatever uh but sometimes did you yes it's very possible that you did that but was it something else was it a a ghost or a relative that moved upon you to get trying to get your attention these are the things that that uh we dismiss easily but uh you know what maybe there's a little bit more to them than than we think oh i think you're a hundred and ten percent right on that and i think that's why it's so important to to find someone or even just a resource to un- understand that type of stuff, you know, those synchronicities or those coincidences. Cause you know, once it starts to make sense to you, then you know, really sort of connect the dots and a lot, you know, a lot will make sense. It's, um, it's, it's, it's so funny. I think now more than ever, there's, you know, more people, being okay with asking questions about that type of stuff, or even just starting by questioning it. Like, you know, was that, what was, was that something I should be paying attention to? Um, it, you know, it's, it's not as, I guess, so 
you know, on the fringe of things anymore. Like it's coming more and more talked about and more and more accepted to be talked about. Right. And, and it's being able to recognize it too is an important part. I think that's the first step in fact is, is to understand, mm-hmm. you know, it may be something else more than just a coincidence, just a, uh, uh, you know, so it, it, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, it, I'm on your website now and I'm looking at some of your workshops and there's like tons of stuff on here. Uh, New England curiosities, that's your website. Check it out. It's awesome. Uh, but, I came run across, and, I, and it's something I've never done before, and I'm intrigued by it. Uh, you know, pendulum dowsing I know very much about, uh, but bone throwing. What is, what the hell is bone throwing? <laughs> what, what, what is bone throwing? So, uh, so I, I look at bone throwing in in sort of two different lights. So um, I look at bone throwing as a junk draw divination. So, you know, the <laughs> stuff that's in your, and that's what I call it too. I, I've been thinking about writing a book on junk draw divination. It's one of my favorite classes um, to teach. Mm-hmm. So whatever is in your cup holder, whatever is in your pocket, um, you know, all that weird stuff in your junk drawer, like assign it a, a, a meaning and an energy and throw it in a bag and pull it out. The so same thing with, with bone throwing, you know, you, you, you hold that, um, you know, that wishbone that came out of, you know, that came out of the turkey, you know, those, those, those little things that you find in, you know, in the woods, those types of things can all uh, reflect an energy or a message. So finding a way to cast them, C-A-S-T, to cast them out on a cloth or, um, across a calendar, um, or, you know, sort of a, a board even. I do, um, I do junk drawer divination on Ouija boards sometimes. Oh, so cool. there's a way to, to sort of figure out what your language is throughout all of these items. So, you know, maybe you've got, um, you know, I don't know, a, a, you know, a small metal owl charm. So, you know, what does that mean? So it's, it's wisdom, it's intuition, it's being able to perceive things in the dark. So if you have that charm and you pull it out and, you know, you do your throwing and the owl's facing down, then your intuition is blocked by something. You know, if that owl is landed on another item that you've thrown out, so maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a, a penny that you have, you know, something to represent money and prosperity and that owl's landed right on top of that penny. So maybe that means to use your intuition, what you're feeling about making your financial choices, you know, those, so really starting to take and assign those things. And I love to take, you know, you know, things that you found um, and, and use those, you know, whether it's, you know, a, a bone in the woods or, you know, a tree, bra- a piece of a tree branch or broken jewelry or coins or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. and that is stuff that speaks to you and has an energy and you're also giving it a purpose and you can use that for spirit communication as well. Right. And, you know, I always said this and, uh, you know, there are, there are dozens and dozens of tarot cards out there. I think you have your own deck too, don't you, uh, Roxy? Uh, yes, I have designed my own deck. Yep. So there are, there are a bunch of them out there, and and most people think, okay, this is a, a deck. This is, 
you know, this is the meaning of this, this is the meaning of that. But a tarot deck is something, uh, basically a tool to focus. And it was, and you read tea leaves, right? You read, you, there, there are other ways mm-hmm. you read it. A po- person reads palms. And it always been my, my thought that you can basically use anything to read. I mean, there, don't get me wrong, tarot cards are excellent because they provide lots of symbols and, and, and things that are personal to us, which makes them great. But I remember at Spirit Course one year, I was explaining this and I said, I bet you I can do a divination. And I reached in my pocket and I pulled out everything that was in my pocket. I threw it down on the table and I did a reading from uh, just what was in my pocket. So this is kind of like your junkyard divination, except I didn't do what you did in advance assigning certain things. I just read them as they came out of my pocket, uh, what they, the, I, the meanings I got from them. So divination is, is a great thing. It's a, it, you tap into your, your in, intuitiveness and, and you can, you'd be surprised how well you can do with, with virtually anything. Uh, yes, tarot cards are good. They're great actually, because they provide, uh, lots of symbols for you and also they they provide a, a personalist or the which most people choose their tarot cards because they they're drawn to them uh sort of like a pendulum or, or crystals uh, do you agree with me on that or are you are you on a different avenue no i i i do uh, agree with that i mean i obviously i probably agree to that more than a hundred times because i have more than a hundred decks um, yeah. In my collection, I have a, a huge collection, but every deck right. is, is different as different artists or author and different theme. Mm-hmm. Um, the world of divination, I would be literally lost without divination. It is, um, you know, outside of the ghost tours and, um, you know, that whole uh, whole aspect of women curiosity, divination is, you know, it's I live, sleep, and eat it. Um, it is just uh, amazing what you can you can use. I mean, anything and everything, um, you know, I always sort of my outlook on that is and what I teach a lot of my students when they come and take classes is, you know, it's it's like half the tool and half you. And, you know, that's where you're getting a lot of that information from is your own intuition, your own connectedness yeah. to, you know, whoever, whoever it is that, you know, sort of is your your higher power, whether it's, you know, it's God or it's the universe or your guides or angels. And then it's, you know, it's the energy or, or symbolism of that tool. So, you know, cards are amazing. They really are, you know, for, for the, like you said, the symbolism oh, yeah. that they have. But making something uh, even a little bit more personal, like pulling out of what's in your pocket, you know, that the junk drawer divination is, you know, it's, it's very cool because it's your own brand, which is why I love tea leaf reading so much. Because it's so personal to you. Every tea leaf reading is going to be incredibly different. Every sign, symbol, word, it's, it's going to be totally different based on the person and their energy and what they're going through. Tarot, you're going to see that, you know, a lot of the same similar cards, which is wonderful. But I, I love how personal you can get with that. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, you know, some people will buy a tarot deck and, uh, They'll say, uh, you know, they'll read it and and they'll take the meanings of it so literally. In other words, it, yes, mm. the, the meanings they there they have assigned meanings to, it, but a good portion of your reading is is you, like you said, would you said fifty percent 
intuitive and 50 percent mm-hmm. yeah and and that's the important thing too is uh you know you've got to be able to tap into this uh, i don't know what you're going to call it uh you know the inner you i guess i don't know but uh mm-hmm. intuition uh yeah you you do you do workshops on intuition as well so you you know what i'm talking about you also do you do uh i love this one kitchen witchery and you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, well, it, and it's it's funny. Um, we all we all believe it or not, we all do kitchen witchery, whether whether we know it or not, mm-hmm. we do. And it's you know it's it's simply a little bit of that personal magic. It's funny because I haven't done that workshop in a while, and I just put it up on the website a couple weeks ago, and it's like tickets are flying out the window. But it's so you know when you when you Light candles on your birthday cake, and you blow them out, and you make a wish. You're you're right in that realm. You're you're setting intention. You're you know sending that energy when you light. You know when you light that candle, that is you know lighting up that intention. It's putting something into existence, and then by activating it, by breathing on it, you know you're you're putting your energy, the essence of you in that. You know when you're when you're cooking someone, a, you know a, a pot of soup because they're sick. And you're hoping that it's going to heal them. You're putting that that healing energy in there. You know, whether you're a Reiki practitioner like you and I are, and you're putting that Reiki energy in there, or just by the power of your intention when you're stirring that in there, or when you're serving a meal on your grandma's favorite china. You know, if this was grandma's place, she took it out once a year to use it. But when you take that out, you know, you're connecting with, with their energy, you know, and mm-hmm. that memory of of your grandma, you know, that, that comes to life. That's such a, a potent energy. You could put that plate out for her and mm-hmm. sort of call her energy in there or, or honor the teachings that she had. Those are all little kitchen witchery things. You know, the herbs that you use, they all have, you know, their healing ability and their energies that they lend to lend to the cooking. And it's so elemental you have all of the elements you know the the earth for the food the fire for the transformation you know the water the air the steam like all of that all happening so you're transforming something you know transforming a potato from the ground into something that is going to nourish and energize you so that in its own form is transformative magic or kitchen witchery Unfortunately, but we have to transform to the end of the show. So we had about a minute left under it. Uh, you've been listening to Ghost Chronicles uh, Next Generation with uh, Ron Kolick. My special guest has been Rocky Zwicker. Now, Roxy, where can people find out more about these workshops, your books, and everything? So you can go right to my website at newlandcuriosities.com. You can find New England Curiosities on Facebook, and you can find me, Roxy Zwicker, on Instagram at RoxyZW. There you go. So we want to thank uh, all our uh, sponsors, and we especially want to thank uh, good friends of Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon, and you too can become a member and have access to over, I don't know, 30 videos now, exclusive for our things. So, Roxy, thank you so much. You have a Merry Christmas, and good night, and God bless. You too. Good night.
From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.